Welcome to Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Stories We Don't Tell is a monthly event in Toronto that features candid stories of strength and resilience. I threw out my prayers, they went flying like balloons. The air whipped our hair, we went shooting down the valley. Knuckles gripped upon the handles, shivers rushing down my spine. Actually, I have a real, I have a real question for you. Um, okay. Oh, I'm worried now. Yeah. So everyone knows that this is a, this this whole episode is gonna be me interviewing Paul, uh, uh-huh. mostly about serious things. But the first question uh, is how you feel about that news article about millennials giving up uh, on cereal. Uh, I didn't read it because I didn't want to uh, waste my time on this kind of thing because I'm not a millennial. You're not. Are you not technically a millennial? No, I'm too old for that shit. But like, not by much. Millennial goes up pretty high though. I don't even know what that is. What is that? What does that mean? Nineties? I I heard from no eighties. Eighties? Yeah, I heard like early like mid eighties. I think. I I don't know what generation I am because I don't I may, I might be Generation X. Okay. Because X is like Nirvana and stuff like that, isn't it? I maybe. And then there was Y. Right, and now, then there's millennials. That makes no sense. You're, I think you're right. There was there was a, definitely a Generation X Y. But there was no Generation Z, right? No, is that- no, they switched to millennials. Uh-huh. But it's weird because you know I don't, can't imagine how there's uh, generations are supposed to be in twenty people blocks, twenty mm. year blocks, right? So it doesn't make sense to me. Um, I just take it as I don't belong, mm. and they don't want me, and um, you know, I just get turned off on it because I'm I'm uh, I'm not going to say how old I am because it's really old. So old. All I'll say is that. You know you're old mm. when you know when you do like surveys or something online. The age, the how it breaks up is like twenty five to thirty five, and then they don't give a shit about you. It's just like <laughs> then it's like thirty six to 100. sixty or whatever. You know, <laughs> right? They just don't care. They're right. they're you're you're not in a demographic that they're trying to sell to anymore. Mm. We also we have a small audience on this podcast. Uh, I really hope you have no one above the age of sixty, uh, because I feel like then they're they're gonna be super insulted by that. No, no, no. I think it's I think actually that's uh, it's the opposite. Is it's saying that they're you know it's so important. Those people are so important that they don't even have to, you know, they don't even want to bother them. Mm. You oh, know what I mean? That, that, so ad agencies have decided that old people are so important that they've that they just don't want to bother them. Right. Okay. That's what I'm trying to say. Man, these so, ad agencies really important. So, but but um, I'm familiar with uh, that millennials don't want to waste. It's they don't want to waste time with cereal. I don't know. I so I didn't read the article either because I like cereal, and I so, think I'm a millennial, so the, but maybe I'm not. So wait a second. So are you gonna? You were asking me a question about. So we're now discussing an article that neither one of us has has read. Has read. Yeah, well, obviously. Okay. Well, to be fair, I want to point out that the article was called "Millennials Don't Eat Cereal." I don't think you have to dive deep into that article to have a discussion about it. Yeah. I think either you talk about do you eat cereal or not, and then go from there. Right. And um, is it because they just don't have enough time, or they're too cool, or? I believe it's uh, just a flat-out rejection of cereal. It's just the, uh, you know, according to our good friend Sterling, uh, who's yes. been on this podcast before. Yes. Uh, his He argued that uh, that he thought that millennials understood that's, that that cereal was a scam. It was a sugary scam. Really? And that's why, and that's why no one needs it. Cereals are expensive. Well, yeah, for, especially given for how basically nutri- n- nutritionally, you know, non-existent they are. Yeah. 
And you know, the more nutrients that are in a cereal, the higher the price is. Mm. That doesn't make any sense to me. That's true. Well, yeah, it's true. You know? Well, they, 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 you're paying for the nutrients, I guess. But um, I have a way to segue this into a real conversation. Yeah. I, you can, wanna, can I just mention one more thing, Please. though, about, about this that does relate? Is that um, this is sort of a, uh, a callback, I guess you would say, to... Um, the other uh, the other person that is not here right now, Brienne, which is great because yeah. we can talk about her and everything. She'll never hear it. Right. Um, is that uh, I believe that is so I don't know if she's a millennial or not. I think so. It's very confusing. I think everyone's millennial now. That's, I think it's how they're going with it. So I think she needs to write the article about putting the milk in the bowl first and right. then the cereal right that's how that's the that's the only real millennial way to eat it that's that's an article that that I would read <laughs> to be fair that's like I, I if i ever saw anyone do that i would can, be can, pretty sure they're a sociopath and never talk to them again um but to move forward on this conversation to, to segue so to segue. so here's my so here's my segue here paul uh is that this we're talking about a, a story you told uh yes. and it has a lot to do with uh has a lot to do with your nose but yes. also you as a kid mm-hmm. uh and so my question to you my first question to you because right. i'm a hard-hitting journalist yeah. here, <laughs> yes. uh, is what kind of cereal did you eat as a kid um huh that's a that's a that's an interesting question i can't remember you know i i don't know when it was but i transitioned at some point because i used to eat all that sugary stuff Hmm. like um alphabets right something like that and golden grams Hmm. there's nothing there's there's not you're that's it's negative what (laughs) what is in those cereals like you're they're making you worse but then I figured, uh, I guess I'm not a millennial because I do eat cereal. Mm-hmm. But I try and go for the kind that has, you know, fiber in it. Right, classic fiber, like all brand. All brand. You know, I don't really give a shit what it tastes like. It's all fine. It all tastes the same anyways. All right. So you, you switched to all brand. So you were, so during the time that you were, say, a Golden Grams kid. Right. I'm going to presume you were that. Uh, you... You had so I guess this. If we're gonna have a real serious conversation here, I guess it has to be about body image as a kid, uh-huh. um, and perhaps body image as a young boy, because I can I can relate to that to some extent. Right. Uh, I was a very small child. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I'm slightly less small, but still relatively small now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm tall, but I'm still small. Um. So so, but I feel like everyone has different parts about themselves that they feel that they feel insecure about. Yeah. Um, and I think now that we safely talked about the cereal for so long that everyone stopped listening, we can have a real frank conversation about, about our bodies. Yes. Um, <laughs> Two men talking about their bodies. Yeah. Guys didn't see this coming. Uh, so, uh, give us, give us a sort of brief explanation of, 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 of your nose politics. Right. Well, you know, when I, this was a story, I don't know why it, it always kind of stuck with me and you know how you have those stories where you kind of keep coming back to them and even if you tell them you're like i didn't get it right that time and maybe each time you try to get a little closer to it and um i guess i was just i was just interested to talk about um this like in a roundabout way like it's not really on the surface i think about that it's sort of more embedded in the story is you know talk about a body image or something that you are insecure about and i especially as uh as a man and um, you know, not to say like, oh, I want to get in on this, you know, talking about um, body image and, and how it's represented in, in the media or in culture and stuff like that. But, but that, um, I don't know, I was just interested to talk about my nose, which is on my face. Mm. And it's a good place for a nose. Yeah. Yeah. Generally speaking. 
And um, and it's one of those things that, you know, you just, it's like uh, uh, it takes one kid or, or, you know, two or three or <laughs> however many to just put some thought in your head. And then I'm now 35 and older. And it's, you're still, it's still like, I, I can honestly say I don't give a shit anymore. Right. But you're still, there's that thought in your head that was planted in there. And then it still kind of keeps growing. Well, I feel like it reminds me a little bit of this. Of, uh, I remember talking, writing, talking, I had a conversation with Brian at one point, And she was sort of talking about uh, the relationship she had with food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember responding as a as a you know as a as a privileged man with like I've never had a relationship with food. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. I don't. I don't understand this. Right. Um, and I think in part like you have a relationship with your nose. I mm-hmm. feel like in part it's not so much you know you you can get over it. You can get past these things mm-hmm. uh, that you sort of you know started as a kid. Uh, but you still have a relationship with them, right? Your relationship has matured, maybe more normal, but you've now have a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Some extent, like you know, everyone has a relationship with their body to some extent. Um, and you know, I speak from my own experience. I still feel small, right? Like I'm six one, yeah. And I and I will never not feel small. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't matter. That's just like that's how I because I was I was small until I was like sixteen or seventeen. Did you just like sort of like just spur it up yeah. at one point? Yeah, yeah. basically. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was I was like yeah, I was five four until probably grade ten, mm-hmm. and everyone was giants compared to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then eleven, I think eleven, I basically got to almost my original height. You know, with this story, this is, I think that this one, more than any, anyone, um, you know, I've talked about some pretty serious things at our, at our Stories We Don't Tell event, but I had a, a more people than any other time come up to me and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I have a big nose. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> and they're like, no, you don't. And, but they, they and talked about their, when they were a kid getting, um, you know, made fun of or all, all this kind of thing. And I guess that's to me what the story was really about. It's just these, the, you're, everyone's in, insecurities yeah. about themselves, about, you know, what they might look like or something like that. And it's, it's hidden. And I, it's just something that I really, it's one of the things I love about doing this event, telling these stories is kind of, you have this collective, everyone just sort of sighs of relief, just mm-hmm. going like, oh yeah, just, it's not a big deal anymore, you know? Right, exactly. And I, I think also that it comes to the end of this point where it gets you really into, um, it, a, a, by revealing your vulnerability, it gets everyone into a sort of safe space to really actually discuss their own vulnerabilities, right. uh, which, you know, we've discussed that a bit, a bit at length already. Um, but I also think that sort of something like this, something like, a, like something like a, is almost sort of an interesting mission because, uh, I guess so much of our adult life is, is, is putting on this persona that we don't have these, 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 these insecurities anymore. Right. right. Part of the, the forward facing present of adulthood is I'm a perfectly functional human being who doesn't have any of these weird insecurities. Right. Um, and so revealing insecurities are often a are often as much of a learning experience for just how weird they like because like I like see I see you and I would never be like oh I bet you he's really insecure with this, about his nose that's mm-hmm. not a thing that I would ever think until you tell the story and then right. I'm like oh man that was that seemed to really shape you right and I feel like so almost sent revealing your insecurities as an adult so much more is sort of is is sort of showing a, a piece of yourself that it wasn't even not very obvious to you right away right mm-hmm. you don't know what someone's insecure or not insecure about mm-hmm. um, because because that's not a thing where like because like no one now making fun of your nose that, that would be fucking ridiculous yeah, yeah. Uh, so i think it's so much not, it's much different now yeah and and uh i guess what something that was really important to me with this story 
was to try and make it funny as well. Mm. It, it was I, there was a really there was a real intention to try and make it funny, not to to laugh and be like ah I was such an idiot back then, but to just find the humor in this in some kind of way, and to to be able to you know those people that are sitting there in the audience thinking about their own insecurities or thinking about um, times in their life when maybe they felt the same way that uh, that I did, we can just kind of laugh at it, you know? We can, we can kind of just find the humor in it. And um, I don't know, I think it's good for everybody. Yeah, well, yeah I, th- I think that's, the, that's, a, that's a great point to end on, uh, is a sort of idea that I think, you know, some, in some insecurities people still aren't over, right? Some insecurities people still aren't, are still working themselves through, right. uh, which is totally valid. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, the other thing I've changed my insecurities. You know, I'm not thinking about this anymore. I have, I have a brand new subset of insecurities. Right. Um, but I think at the same time, the, um, the by being able to make, make being laughed at, it sort of informs everyone else, in the audience, that it's you know that their insecurities are probably just as silly. Mm-hmm. You know, that not like that like to some extent, like I'm up here telling you about this sort of thing about my nose. You're all reacting to me like that's ridiculous, and mm-hmm. I get that. And I'm mm-hmm. w- sort of winking at you because I know it's kind of ridiculous. And I think in doing that process, the person is then able to sort of look back mm-hmm. and see you winking at, and, and, and then see them sort of themselves and you also winking at the audience. Yeah, and you know, when you just, when you, I know what you mean when you say silly. Hmm. And I know you're, like, again, if somebody has has issues with, with certain things about themselves, it, I think what was good is good about finding the humor and or being alive is that we're all so in our own heads. Yeah. And it's like you said, you know, if you had uh, just met me and then I said, oh yeah, I've got this like insecurity about my, the size of my nose, you'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, it's not a big deal to everybody else or they don't really see all of those things. But you know, something that has been in your head for 20 years or 15 years, it's gonna, it's gonna be lodged in there in some kind of way. So it is a big deal to you, but I think it's good to talk about these things and communicate them to each other, and then you know maybe it can uh, somewhat slowly disappear. Yeah, and it comes. I think it's like having so this, this sort of idea of having a relationship with it, right? Uh, so uh, if let's you have anything else to add, no. I, all right. Well, then let's throw to the the story of Paul's relationship with his nose. grade five my teacher made us do an art project she took an overhead projector everybody remembers what those are yeah. yes good she shined it on a blank wall that had a piece of white paper t- taped to it each student sat facing sideways on a chair between the overhead projector and the wall so she was going to trace all of our silhouettes on the piece of paper and create a bulletin board of everyone's silhouette. Great. So I sat down in the chair, and then everyone gathered around me in stunned silence. I couldn't see due to the flashing light of the overhead projector. I just heard voices. At first it was almost with awe. It's so big. 
<laughs> the ridicule grew from there to kids laughing and pointing and commenting about the unusual size of my nose. I am sure that the scene from the grade five art project was not as extreme as I'm describing. <laughs> However, when you're a kid, certain memories are enhanced, become imprinted in your brain, and not only become permanent fixtures, but actually grow with time. And so this began my incredible self-consciousness when it came to the size of my nose. Some feedback I received was that my nose looked okay from the front, <laughs> but once I turned in profile, it was just too much. This feedback came from a kid named Jesse, who one day took me around during recess asking everyone who they liked better, me or him. Since he threatened most of the kids to say that they liked him better, he won the competition by a landslide. But I took Jesse's suggestion to heart. I started talking to people straight on instead of turning sideways. When I would meet someone, I would turn to face them straight on, which was a little awkward for both of us. It was around this time grade five, when I started to figure skate. This did not do well for my already poor social status at school. Because I did not know it at the time, I was not old enough to understand, that I lived in a society that was desperately holding on to notions of masculinity and femininity, that teaches boys to become men that feelings and sensitivity was a negative consequence of participating in a sport where I wore costumes and expressed myself physically through my body. A society where when I teach little kids skating now, we still find it necessary to reward little boys with truck stickers and little girls with ballerina stickers. And these little kids project their confusion when they point at me and say, earrings are for girls. Or why are you wearing a pink shirt? And this top-down antiquated system is so firmly entrenched when the President of the United States of America dared to not only show emotion a few weeks ago, but he dared to wipe away some tears and his critics called him a pussy. <laughs> And I might be reaching by comparing the plight of a boy figure skater <laughs> to the president. But the thing is, people just need to get over it. I really loved to skate, and I was mostly confused by the names that people called me. And it wasn't until a few years ago when my writing mentor sat me down and said that being sensitive and vulnerable were signs of strength, not weakness, and to me, that guy is one of the manliest men I know. So what I'm trying to say is being a boy figure skater and having a big nose is not a good combination. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of my time skating, but also I actually wasn't very good at it. 
I'm glad that YouTube wasn't a thing yet. And the only footage of me skating exists on some VHS tapes in the basement of my parents' house. A few years ago, I was shooting a film and gave the crew disposable cameras to capture behind-the-scenes pictures. We were using my parents' house in Ottawa, and two of my friends found some of my old skating costumes. They thought it would be a hilarious idea to dress up and take pictures of themselves doing various figure skating poses, only to let me discover them weeks later when I got the film developed. <laughs> those two guys are fathers now, and I still have those photographs. I was mostly a single skater, but did pair skating also for a few years. For those unfamiliar, Pair skating is where a male and a female skater perform lifts, jumps, and spins together. And here is where figure skating, an object's moment of angular inertia, the object in this case being an elbow of a young girl, and the size of my nose came together <laughs> perfectly. We were practicing a double split twist, which is a move where the boy, me, throws the girl up into the air. She spins around twice, and then the boy catches her, puts her down on the ground. The standard rotating position for the girl is with her elbows tucked to her side. I threw my partner up into the air, and she did not have her elbows tucked close to her side. Her elbows, elbows were sticking out, and my nose always sticks out. <laughs> so right before I caught her, as she was coming down, she elbowed me right in the nose. Now, when a figure skater is rotating in the air, they are going at speeds of upwards of 80 kilometers an hour. So when, she when her elbow hit me, my nose snapped on impact. I heard a pop, and it immediately started bleeding, as though someone had turned on a faucet. Periscating is very dangerous, and we were taught to protect each other. If a lift is going down, our instinct is to get the person in the air back to the ice as quickly as possible. I must have gone into some kind of shock because I remember putting her down, but don't remember any pain, just all the blood. I remember standing there on the ice stunned, a parent of another skater leapt over the boards, and I was rushed off the ice. I sat in the emergency room with my parents for five hours. A broken nose looks bad, but it's not life-threatening. I sat quietly trying to stop the bleeding while holding an ice pack to my face. I finally got in to see a doctor, and he came in with a chart, looked at me and said, your nose was straight at one time, right? <laughs> I was really not in the mood for jokes. So he said, we'll come back tomorrow and we'll get that straightened out. My nose used to be straight, but the top part was now about over here. The next day, I returned to the hospital, and I'd really hope 
they don't fix broken noses in this archaic way anymore. <laughs> Some of you are ahead of me on this. The surgeon dipped giant cotton balls and, uh, into anesthesia and stuffed them all the way up my navel cavities. And I laid down and they brought in two orderlies. The orderlies stood on either side of me and each grabbed me at my shoulder. The doctor appeared over top of my face and put his fingers on my nose. And you know how they used to fix a broken nose? They broke it back into place very slowly. So when it initially happened, it was fast, like a punch in the face. Or in this case, an elbow in the face. The doctor proceeded to physically move my nose, and I started screaming. Whatever kind of painkiller they were using, it wasn't working. The orderlies were big men, and I was just a teenager, but they were having, still having a lot of trouble holding me down. I'm sorry. The doctor would move my nose over a bit, stop, have a look at it. Then he'd press it over a little bit further, and he'd stop and look at it. And this just seemed to go on forever. <laughs> Finally, he stepped back and said, that looks good to me. <laughs> they put a cast on my face that covered my, my nose, my forehead, and my cheeks. I'd have to keep this cast on for three days. My parents were not the kind, my parents were the kind who insisted that you go to school no matter what. <laughs> Now, how was I going to explain this? <laughs> it wasn't something I could hide. There was a giant cast on my face. <laughs> and it didn't happen in a cool way. <laughs> so I found a baseball hat and went to school. I thought looking down and the hat would shield me from all the ridicule. So back when I went to Catholic school, we had to take our hats off in class. Now, I was in a public school, and this rule didn't apply, thankfully, except in geography class. The teacher didn't have a cross hanging on the wall, but she did insist we take our hats off. I went early to the class and asked her if I could have permission to keep my hat on for what I thought was obvious reasons. She graciously agreed. At the beginning of class, she made an announcement. <laughs> usually I ask students to remove their usually I ask students to remove their hats but I'm making an exception today with Paul and she pointed at me and every student turned around to look so I went through a long time of talking to people straight on never being in profile ridiculous I know I mean, my nose is on the front of my face. It's not like I can do anything about it. But I think everyone must have something about their body that they're not happy with. And you grow older, you become more comfortable with yourself. And then along the way, you get into things like this one relationship I was in with someone who adored my nose. She first noticed me because of it. She loved when I burrowed my nose into the crux of her neck. She loved me because of my nose. But if there's one thing I've learned, it's that if I ever break my nose again, 
no matter how bad it looks, I'm leaving it. <laughs> Thank you. You can find us online at thereapers.org because we're in the life collecting business. You can like us at facebook.com slash stories we don't tell podcast. If you want to help us out, you can rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks to Rayana for the theme music to this podcast. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at rayana.ca. This episode of the Stories You Don't Tell podcast is brought to you by Noses. Because when something smells, you're going to want to know. We don't have Brianne here, so I can't ask about you know, your favorite recipe.